bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So that's Paul's introduction. Then he tells us, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as also among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were thankful but became futile or vain in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is 
against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust to one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which is due them. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice in them. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, thank you that we have access to your word. Thank you for the book of Romans, and I pray that this week you would would help us to see the truths of this book, to see the application in our lives, and then to be able to live out that application so that we would be living epistles of you. So we look to your spirit now, and we rejoice that we are not left to our own devices, that we can trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. As Paul mentioned here, he is writing to those in Rome. Rome was the capital and the most important city of the Roman Empire. In Paul's day, there were probably a population of well over a million people that lived in Rome. And a great number of those people were slaves. As you'll read through the the book of Romans, you'll find Paul making reference to uh, analogies about uh, yielding ourselves as servants, as slaves. In Paul's day, you've heard the statement, all roads lead to Rome. Literally, they did. They, in their empire, built a, a tremendous empire um, and had great transportation because of their roads, and the gospel traveled those roads. It's amazing how God uses everything in life and fits it into his purposes and plans. Not only in the Roman Empire did all roads lead to Rome, um, biblically, in a similar sense, All doctrines lead to Romans. The book of Romans is a very, very key um, book in the Bible. No other single book has influenced the world throughout history like the book of Romans has. Um, and, And we'll see as we get in and look at it. The church at Rome, the believers there... uh, probably were in Acts chapter 2, some of those believers traveled back to their home in Rome, became believers in Acts 2, went back to Rome, established their their churches there in Rome. Paul had not yet visited Rome. 
He had heard about their belief and faith, and he was writing unto them. And um, it was a church made up of Jews and Gentiles. Last week we saw God taking the gospel to the Gentile world in the book of Acts. And it was, in in Paul's frame of mind, was regarded as a, a Gentile church. Um, he mentioned in our reading, Paul longed to go to Rome in the book of Acts. It said he wanted to go there. Here he said that he wanted to go to Rome, and he said that he soon hoped to do that. But... Um, his inability to go there may have motivated him to write this letter to the believers in in Rome. Some speculate as to why he wrote it. He um, he longed to go visit them, and maybe he wanted to to prepare the ground for that and help them to understand uh, his doctrinal perspective. He had just wrote, written the, the book of Galatians, which deals with the whole issue of the doctrine of justification. How are our sins forgiven? How are we made right with God? And so he had just written the book of Galatians, and that was fresh on his mind. And Romans may have been... Because of that was fresh on his mind, he wanted to go into it deeper. And he did. In the book of Romans, deals in great doctrinal teaching about justification, redemption, and our salvation. Um, there may have been some misunderstanding of his letter to those in Galatia, Um he he wanted to make sure there was a clear understanding about forgiveness of sin. We read in the last part of the book of Romans that Phoebe, a woman of influence in the Christian circles, um, was about to go to Rome. She was a friend of Paul. Paul knows she's going. He writes the letter, sends it with her, um, and... That is a way of introducing her to the believers at Rome. But Paul was dealing with some, some very key issues in the book of Rome. As we said, in the book of Rome, the book of Romans, okay? As we said, he gives clear teaching throughout the first 11 chapters. In the last four chapters, chapter 12 through 16, he, the last five chapters, he deals in the practical sense. Tonight we'll take a little look in chapters 12 through 16. Um, this morning we want to look at, at some of the, the teachings regarding the doctrines that he brought out in the first chapters. Um, they may have misunderstood some of Paul's teachings earlier, and he wanted them to understand that no greater sin does not mean greater glory to God. In this, in this book of Romans, he corrects that. It's not like, oh, we're going to sin, so grace abounds, and, and God is glorified through that. 
He also deals with issues that they had, the Jews and the Gentiles working together. How did these Gentiles get brought in? We're not going to go into that this morning in Romans 9, but um, the Jews were still struggling with some of those things and um, not recognizing the Gentile believers as equal with them. And on the other hand, the Gentiles kind of looked with contempt on their narrow-minded, prejudiced, bigoted, in their mind, Jewish brethren. So, you know, it's easy for us to read the Bible and think, oh, wow, everything was so wonderful. They had the same flesh we have. And they had similar issues in their life. And Paul was aiming to win the Jews to the Christian truth of redemption through Jesus Christ alone and the Gentiles to Christian love that, no, we need to love these Jewish brethren and and vice versa. So he gives some clear instruction. The book of Romans, many of you have... um, have kind of like we've skipped a rock through the book of Romans. Bounce here, here, here. Um, it's often been used. How many of you are familiar with what has been called the Romans Road? Just raise your hand, okay? The Romans Road. Don't feel bad if you're not familiar with that. But it is a plan to introduce someone to Christ through verses in the book of Romans. I'm I'm not saying it's bad, it's good. Many people have come to Christ through it, but but it is. It's and again, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's it's hitting some key verses in Romans to show the truths. To a certain regard, we will be doing similar things here this morning to to emphasize the issue that Paul is dealing with here regarding Justification, meaning forgiveness of sins. And it begins with this aspect. Paul gives the introduction and he comes down to verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I can't wait to get to Rome and preach it. And then he goes into the heart of the book in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So he immediately jumps into this and he he brings out the righteousness of God and the wrath of God. The righteousness of God, meaning God is a holy God. He is separate from sin. He always does what is right. There is no sin in him at all. But then it brings out the sinfulness of man. And and we're not going to go into great detail, but we read verses 18 through, through 25. They are through verse 30. They are like a commentary on our society today. And God is saying to the church at Rome, to the people at Rome, and to mankind that God is a righteous God. And because of the ungodliness, 
and unrighteousness, and because of the sin of mankind, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. The word righteousness, you'll read in in the black book that you have, it mentions in there that the word righteousness appears 66 times in this short book. God is, is wanting to convey His righteousness, and He's conveying to us that we are in need of His righteousness. So, right away, we're confronted with the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the separate from sin. And, and because He is righteous, there is wrath at the ungodliness. There is judgment against evil that is in opposition to his righteousness. So he goes in, and as I said, we don't, we can't go through all of it, but in, in, um, chapter one, he spells out the sinfulness of man who when they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, and so on. We'll be coming back to that in just a little bit. But the righteousness of God is contrasted with the sinfulness of man. Now, the sinfulness of man is revealed to us through the law of God. The purpose of the law of God is to help us to see that we are sinners. If you think of the law of God in just the realm of Even the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to show us that we are sinners, that we are in need of forgiveness. And and Paul goes into the law. The law is uh, another key point of the book of Romans. I believe it's over 70 times that it's mentioned in the book of Romans. But the law is to show us this is God's righteousness. This is the law. And we can't keep it. Look at Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3. And again, as you read through the book of Romans, you look for these things. You look for the references to the law, righteousness, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. He goes on and continues to address that and and says there is no fear of God before them. So he's clearly spelling out there is none righteous. Here's the righteousness of God. The law of God is given to show us there is none righteous. Look down in verse 23 of the same chapter. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's God's law. Here's the standard of righteousness And the term that he uses here, have fallen short, it's an 
It's an archery term that your bow doesn't have the power to reach the target, that it completely falls short of the target, that the very best that we can do, the very highest virtue that we can have in and of ourselves completely falls short. It comes way short of the righteousness of God. Everyone, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the purpose of the law. And and so Paul is, is bringing that out. Now, there are different types of sinners. In the book, you'll read over, it mentions there's pagans, people that say, I don't even believe there is a God. Then there are moralists. They think, I'll do good. And I'll, I'll be good in and of myself, and my goodness will be good enough to get me into heaven. God says, no, there's, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And then there are religionists who are trusting in their religion. And it may be Buddhism or Islam or Eastern religion, or Judaism, or it may be Christianity. In the religion, they're trusting, but they're not trusting in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what there is, all mankind, regardless of what he tries to cover his sin, completely falls short. And it's that sin that separates us from God. So we fall short. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Death is separation. I'm born into this world with sin. And if nothing is done with my sin, I fall short of God. I mean, completely separated from God. And I die that way. I will be separated from God for eternity. The end result of sin is death. And so the sinfulness of men, all men are guilty before God. And and Paul is writing, it doesn't matter if they're Jews or Gentiles. It doesn't matter if they're Greek or barbarian or what they are. All men are in need of a Savior. So then Paul establish the righteousness of God, the sinfulness of man, and now he gives the solution, how can man be righteous before God? And he shows us the righteousness of God to man comes through Jesus Christ alone. Notice verse 19 of chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. And verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So you see the purpose of the law. No flesh will be justified by the law. By the law is to show us our sin, to show us we need forgiveness. Notice verse 21. But now, 
The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice what he says. Verse 21, the righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law. How is it revealed? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Look in chapter 5 and verse 8. Back up, verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, when we were under the law, we were guilty before God. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love to us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So, here we are. We are the sinners, separated from the righteousness of God. Nothing we can do can make us righteous. While we were still sinners, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring God's righteousness and offer it to us. So, He offers His righteousness to us that in Him we fulfill the law and we are made just before God. We are justified before Him. And notice if you'd look in chapter 5 and verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law came to show us how sinful we were. But where sin was abundant, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. So here we are. We're convicted of our sin. Wow, I am a... I am a wretched sinner. There's no hope for me. And where sin abounded, God's grace did much more abound. And he came and offered the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. Well, let me begin in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. It is Christ Jesus that makes us righteous, that forgives our sin. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
You notice what it says? What the law could not do. The Ten Commandments. Love God first and foremost. I break that law. Don't take His name in vain. We break that law. Don't make any graven images. All, you go down all the laws. We break those laws over and over. And we couldn't keep them. And the law could not make me righteous. But what the law could not do, Jesus Christ did. And, and this is the law that Christ fulfilled when he gave himself. God did by sending his son. And the righteousness must be received from God through Jesus. The righteousness is available to all. Paul goes in in Romans 9, 10, and 11 and says that the Jews rejected Christ and, and God grafted in the Gentiles and he offers it. And we read in Romans 1, because of Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So that we can stand and sing, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That's based on, on Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And and Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It is well with my soul. We have peace with God. So, the righteousness of God, the wrath of God upon sinful man, but God made the righteousness of himself available to us, through Jesus Christ alone. But now, it requires a response of man to God's grace. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Man must respond. God gives his grace and he offers his forgiveness, he offers his righteousness. But man must respond. In Romans chapter 1, it says, When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Verse 21, When they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became vain in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And then it says, God gave them over to the uncleanness of the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Notice verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is pleased forever. Amen. Notice what they They knew the truth of God. They knew about sin, their need for forgiveness, the offer of Jesus Christ to forgive sin, but they rejected the truth of God, and it says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, 
And they began to worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Does that not describe our society today? Union Seminary, this last week, in one of their chapel services, gathered around plants and prayed to the plants and asked forgiveness of the plants for violating them throughout the ages of history. This, I'm not making this stuff up. This is man's response, but the problem is not, there is a problem with Union Seminary, but the problem is, individually, we must decide what we are going to do with the truth of God. Do I accept that I am a sinner? Do I accept that Jesus Christ is the only way of forgiveness? And if I reject that, I will worship and serve something else, but it won't be God. And and in understanding that, turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, Paul brings out the personal responsibility. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So Paul is bringing out here, you understand the righteousness of God, you understand the sin of our our sin, we break the law of God, you understand God's offer of his son Jesus Christ, But it's more than just a mental agreement. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God requires a personal response to his love. It's not just saying, yeah, I I think that's true. God, I am a sinner. And I believe you alone can save me. And I call upon Jesus Christ for salvation. And you notice verse 13 of the same chapter. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the glorious message of justification by faith. It's faith believing That God is holy, I am a sinner, I need his forgiveness, it's only possible through Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, this good news. It is the power of God unto salvation, and the just shall live by faith. We have eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. The book of Romans And these truths have had a profound impact on all of history. Augustine, a North African man that in in his life was probably not a greater influential man in church history from the time of Paul until the Reformation, But Augustine was a man that um, was involved in a false call, and he came under conviction of his own sin. He was 
burdened with his own sin, and he sat weeping in the garden of his friend. And suddenly he heard a child singing a little song from the other side of the fence. The little song in it said, Take up and read, were the words that gripped his heart. He had never heard this song before, but he took it as a word from God, and he picked up a scroll of the Bible, and his eyes fell upon Romans chapter 13, verse 13. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Augustine wrote later, he said, instantly at the end of that sentence, the light of God flooded my heart and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. I put on the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved from a life of sexual immorality. As I mentioned, he went on to become a powerful influence for the cause of Christ. Unlike Augustine, Martin Luther had not been an overtly immoral man. He was a scrupulous monk that was seeking after God, but striving through prayer and fasting and severe treatment of his body, trying to find peace with God, couldn't find peace with God. He was looking for answers, and he poured over Scripture, and he came to Romans 1.17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Instead of loving God as he knew he should, Luther found himself hating God in his heart because of this impossible standard to live by this law. And he wrestled with this text, the just shall live by faith, until he came to see it's the faith of believing that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin and he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Two hundred years later, John Wesley was a member of the Holy Club of Oxford. They strived diligently and rigorously, tried to live a holy life. They had high standards. They wanted to please the Lord. He left England and came to Georgia to be a missionary. Failed miserably in that endeavor. And in May of 1738, his soul was in great agitation. He went to a meeting in London where someone was reading a commentary on Romans. And Wesley wrote in his journal, at about quarter before nine, while they were reading about the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I saw my need to trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation, 
And an assurance was given me that had taken my sins away, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That conversion was the spark that lit the great 18th century revival that changed the history of England. And it is the spark of what we sang this morning. He is the one that wrote the song that we sang first thing. And here it was. This is, this is Wesley. And, and in understanding It is by faith alone he's bearing this great burden of sin. John and Charles Wesley, two brothers that were mightily used of God, came to faith in Jesus Christ. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. John Bunyan's conversion, directly related to the the book of Romans. The English poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge said that Romans is the most profound piece of writing in existence. And Swiss commentator Frederick Goet wrote, Every great spiritual revival in the church will be connected as effect and cause with the deeper understanding of the book of Romans. I want to encourage you to saturate in the book of Romans. If you're here today and you have never personally believed with your heart and confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus, I encourage you today to call upon him for the forgiveness of sins. If you have, I rejoice, I urge you to rejoice in there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Quit condemning yourself. Quit allowing others to condemn you. Quit allowing Satan to condemn you. And to walk in the peace, we are justified by faith. Therewith we have peace with God. Heavenly Father, I pray that the truth of the book of Romans would be made personal and real in our lives. And I pray if there is one here today that has never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, may your spirit, even as we read of others, may your spirit come upon and bring conviction and draw hearts to you today. And Lord, may we as believers be brought to a fresh awareness and and joy in the forgiveness that we have in you alone. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.